Welcome to the Victory Life Church Podcast. We believe it's important to present an uncomplicated and uncluttered view of Christ and how we should live. We hope this podcast inspires you and helps build your faith. If you ever find yourself in the area, come check us out. For more information on services and events, visit us at vlcministries.com and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at VLC Plantation. Man, this is really what the theme of this, these past month or so that we've been walking through the book of Malachi. Anybody been getting anything out of the book of Malachi? You know, it's, it's one thing just to kind of open up the book and read it, but it's another thing to start to read it and then to keep reading it and to read the next verse and to read the next verse and the next chapter. To be honest, I think a lot of us like our Bibles like we like our restaurants. Give me that and hold that. Give me some of that with no ice. I don't know why people don't get drinks with no ice. That is just foreign, foreign to me. But God says, I gave you this whole entire book, every chapter, every verse. And so for the past month or so, we've been walking through the book of Malachi, and, and this is really what God is saying. You've forsaken me. I need, I need you to return to me. Your, your, your worship that you're presenting, which, by the way, isn't just about singing and worshiping and lifting our hands. This is long before Hillsong was around, long before Chris Tomlin was around. There was other ways to worship. And he said, you're, you're bringing me cheap worship. And the people are like, well, well God, I'm not even sure that, that, that you love us. And, and, and you say that we're dishonoring your name. How are we dishonoring your name? And God said in the book of Malachi, he said, by what you're bringing me, the quality of what you are bringing to the church isn't what I asked. He said, it's time to shape up. Come on, tell the person next to you, it's time to shape up. That's what God is saying. I need you to shape up because you got people around you in order for them to grow. They're watching you and you got to shape up. And so he talks about two things. He addresses two, th- two things. He says, I need you to... Um, Quit being unfaithful in your marriage, is what he says. And then he says, I need you to stop um, pushing condemnation or judgment on other people. You better be careful what you wish for. And so now we get to to chapter 3 where he addresses something else. Because these people just were not getting it. They thought the only way to worship was just to sing. And God said, there are plenty of other ways that you can represent me because you're disrespecting what you're representing. So go to Malachi chapter three if you have your Bible with me. I'm gonna read, starting in verse, we'll start in verse six. That might not be up there. Verse seven, we'll start up there. It says, I, the Lord, do not change. So you, O descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. Verse seven, ever since the time of your forefathers, you have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how are, how are we to return? The scripture says, will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you robbed me. But how how have we robbed you, God? Can we rob God? And he says, in tithes and offerings. You are under a curse, the whole nation of you, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe. Somebody say tithe. Uh Uh-oh. If you're a first-time guest and we're talking about money, don't leave yet, okay? It says, um, you're robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. God says, test me in this and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much a blessing that you will not have room enough for it. I'll prevent pests from devouring your crops and the vines in your fields will not cast their fruit, says the Lord Almighty. And look at verse 12. Then all the nations will call you blessed for yours will be a delightful land. 
You know, uh, about a week ago, my son was in my car. He was hanging out with me at the church for the day, and he comes home, and we're on our way, and he's like, Dad, look what I got. I'm like, what do you have? He's like, I got a car. I'm like, where'd you get that car? He's like, from the church. Where in the church? From the kids' class. And I'm like, you just robbed from church. You just stole. And I had a flashback to when I was seven years, seven years old, which was like 10 years ago. You know, and I was seven years old, and, and I remember playing with this little motorcycle with this guy on it. And, and I, I recall, I remember vividly what happened, and I, and I took it home because my dad's the pastor of the church. What is the church? Is this mine? That's what I thought. So I took this little motorcycle home, and I can't tell you, when my mom found out, the conviction that I had, right? There's something about aligning yourself with God because a year later, I ended up getting saved because I think I was going to get in so much trouble. But there was all that conviction and all that guilt that I had from stealing something. And although it was minor, it was still like I just took something that wasn't mine. And so last Sunday, we get home, and because uh, I told my son, I was like, man, you just stole from the church. You better bring that back. And he forgot. So Sunday, we're eating after church at the house, and he's like, Daddy, the car. I forgot to bring the car. And I'm like, we got to call the police. <laughs> he's like, no, I'm going to bring it back. Well, he forgot again. This morning, I wake up, and I'm leaving. And, and he's like, he runs out of his bed with his hair just like, shoom, like a mohawk. He's like, Daddy, Daddy, look. And he had the car. I think he slept with it because he didn't want to forget because he didn't want to go to hell because I told him he'd go to hell. <laughs> he didn't bring it back. <laughs> I didn't say that. But uh, uh, I mean, this idea of robbing God, can, can, I even, can we even rob God? God says, you've been robbing me and you're giving and what you bring to the church, what you bring into the tabernacle. Now, now, maybe you're here today and you're like, man, I, I don't know what really tithe is, and, or maybe I know what tithe is, but I just haven't been able to give. I haven't been able to do it. Maybe I give when I can, or maybe I give when, when it's convenient. Can, can I tell you the truth today? Everything you have is God's. Everything. It doesn't matter what it is. It doesn't matter what you make, what kind of giftings you have. It is from God. So everything that you have is God's. So why can't we give some back to him? The promise and the blessing that he says, if you do, will come. So I've titled this morning's message, if you're taking down notes, Stop Robbing God. Let's stop robbing God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you and we love you. And we're so excited to be in, in your presence, in your place. Father, I know we, we're talking about money, and this could be really challenging for many of us, for myself included. But I pray that we would look past any opinions and look, look right at your scripture and your, and your commandments and, and look at the blessings that you promise. Help us today see how you want us to see. Help us today to hear how you want us to hear. Help us today to feel how you want us to feel. In Jesus' name, everybody said Amen, amen. You know, I uh, remember hearing a story about two men who were on a plane and crashed in the Pacific Ocean on a deserted island. And one of the guys run, runs around the island and says, you know what? We're doomed. There's no food and there's no water. And his buddy was like, you forgot that I'm a millionaire. I make 100K a week. And the guy's like, what is that 100K a week going to do for us on this deserted island? He says, what are you talking about? I say, don't worry. He said, I make 100K a week. Somebody will find us. And the man says, why in God's name do you keep saying that you make $100,000 a week? That is of no use here. And he said, have you forgotten that I'm a believer? 
and that I go to church and every single Sunday I tithe 10% on that $100,000 a week, my pastor will find out. <laughs> and he will find us. Hey, today, hey, we're talking about, we're talking about money today. Come on, somebody. We're going we're gonna to go, we're going to go big. This is not actual money, so if you try to steal it, you're not stealing anything. Come on, somebody say money. How many of you would like some money today? All right, cool. We got one honest, Sean, me and you, me and you, man. We're talking about money today, and uh, the reason why is because we're going to run a campaign today. I'm just kidding. We're not running a campaign. It's because we just happen to be walking through the book of Malachi, and now we get to the topic of tithes and offerings. Man, I'd like to skip it. Do I want to talk about this? No. And my dad certainly, who has abandoned me this week and is out on vacation, he's gone. Our senior pastor is in here, so he's assigned me to talk about tithes and offerings. So if you don't like it, just send him an email, and just please don't send me an email, okay? Now, I want to clarify two things. I want to talk about two myths. If you're here, and maybe you're new, maybe you've been in church for a long time, and, man, you've seen the, the, the TV preachers, and you're just like, man, enough is enough. Let me give you two myths. Myth number one, the church just wants my money. Can I tell you that that is not true? Can I tell you a little history about Victory Life Church? You know, my dad um, took over this church back in 1996, I believe, and it was when it was in North Lauderdale, and it was a different name. And in 1997, the church had a lot of debt. The church building burnt down in 97 and 98. My dad had a church that was just kind of a makeshift building. But what that fire did and what my dad began to do with some, some very wise people is since 1998, VLC has been a debt-free church. In fact, this building that you're in today, this land that you're sitting on today, was paid with cash. We've never had a mortgage on this building. In fact, these past two years of Victory Life Church's history have been some of the best financial years in the history of this church. We plan on giving more, being more generous. We want to do more for missions. We want to do more for our families. We want to do more for nonprofits. So if you're like, man, this church just wants my money. No, the church doesn't need your money. We're talking about tithes, not because we need your money. We're talking about tithes because you need this. But you have to believe that, that this is for you. This is not for us. This isn't like, you know what, we can't pay our staff this week, so we got to talk about money, and we got to manipulate you into giving a little bit more this week so we can eat. Now, I, I sure could eat a little bit more, so if you wanted to, just make sure you section that out. To, but that's not why. Listen, we're just a Bible-preaching church. We just walk through the Bible. We're just walking through Malachi, and here we are. The title of my Bible, it says, Stop Robbing God, because that's what you're doing. And so we're, we're talking about it. Myth number two, the church shouldn't talk about money. You know it's alarming how much Jesus talked about money and all throughout the New Testament? Do you know that it's proven that he discussed the topic of money more often than faith and prayer combined? Because he knew that this would be a battle and a struggle for a believer to align the will of God with the will of their bank accounts. He knew that this would be an issue. In fact, it was Martin Luther that said there's three conversions that are necessary. The conversion of the heart, the conversion of the mind, and the conversion of the purse. Jesus said it in Matthew chapter 6. He said, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So, so much of how I live comes from what I believe, specifically what I have prioritized. And because I have prioritized this, what I value now dictates what I believe. What I believe now dictates what I do. And what I do just becomes who I am. And so the way I live is determined by what I value. 
If you're a family man, you value your family. If you're a businessman, you might value your business. But if, you're, if your heart is here, then this is what you value, then, then this is what you live for. And so you gotta be careful, because Jesus is like, I know where your treasure is. You show me where your treasure is, and I'll show you where your heart is. And I just wonder if we have been robbing God of the opportunity to bless us because we haven't fully surrendered this. Man, I've, I've surrendered everything, but I just can't, I can't surrender this. And by the way, you know, money isn't really something we should talk about because it's evil and I don't want to pursue money. Well, that's not what scripture says. In fact, 1 Timothy 6 says that it's the love of money. It's this pursuit of money. It's this desire to have more and more and more. That's evil. There's another side of worship here, church. There's another side to this. And it isn't just lifting our hands. It isn't just singing. It's this biblical principle of giving. God, I'll sing. God, I'll shout. God, I'll even get on a van and hop over to Fort Myers to cut down some trees. But when you start attacking my bank account and my wallet, I just can't do that right now. Because we're in a bad place. We're in a tight place. Things aren't all that great. I just can't afford to. Can I tell you that you can't afford not to? You can't afford not to tithe. This is one of the hardest barriers that, that God is, is trying to break us from because most of how we live and most of what we do is, is, is in a way that our fists are closed. And how can God work through us? How can God give to us if we live with our fists closed? God is like, today, I need you to open them because I have so much to do in you and through you, and I've got plenty to give you. So let's walk through this text in Malachi chapter 3, if you have your Bibles. And then I want to answer three questions this morning. Let's start in verse 7. He says, Ever since the time of your ancestors or forefathers, you have turned away from my decrees. You've not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you. By the way, this is a simple call to repentance. He's saying, you used to walk with me, but now you no longer walk with me. The things that you used to value and prioritize, you no longer prioritize. The commandments that I've given you, you now consider them irrelevant. And so I need you to return because I have much to do in you and I have much to do through you. Well, well God, I just, I haven't been seeing any of my prayers answered. Well, God will say that's because you haven't been praying consistently like I told you to do, like you used to. Well, God, I'm just living in so much anxiety right now, and I'm getting no relief. Well, that's because you weren't praying like I told you to in Philippians. When, you, when I said think about things that are true, think about things that are righteous, think about things that are pure, you stopped doing that. So, so because you've stopped doing that, I need you to return. Well, well, what are we to return to is the question that they're asking. And he says, um, the church when I was seven. years old my son robbed the church by the way did he bring that car Cheryl today he, he forgot it when he walks through those that lobby I want you to look at him and I'm, <laughs> he's five he knows better he says uh they ask how are you robbing how are we robbing you and he says in tithes and offerings so the first question I want to answer if you're taking no notes and I want to encourage you to jot a few things down uh because uh, the, the word of God is always challenging always encouraging but it is Sometimes convicting, 
And if you feel the conviction, great, but jot it down so you remember it because you might walk out of here and say, man, I'm actually really good. I only feel convicted on Sundays, but if I take notes, then I look back on them and then I feel convicted again. And that, that conviction is just there to help change you and shape you and mold you. Come on, how many want to be molded today? How many want to be shaped to be more like Jesus? Well, then the scripture is going to do that regardless of what you think. As soon as you start reading it, it starts penetrating your heart. If you don't want to change, then don't read it. But God calls us to change, and so we read it. So what, what is the tithe? I want to look at the Old Testament, and I want to look at the New Testament. In the Old Testament, tithing is an, it's an Old Testament concept. The word tithe simply means tenth. The principle of returning to God the first 10% of your income. And it's actually first introduced back in Genesis 14. So if you, if you want to flip over to Genesis 14, you can. Genesis 14, this is back when Abraham wasn't even called Abraham, yet he was called Abram. And Abram had a, had a nephew named Lot, and Lot was living in a city named Sodom. Sodom was a horrible city. There was a war for Sodom and all its possessions, and Lot was kind of in the middle of it, and so Lot got taken captive. Well, his, his uncle finds out, and Abram's like, we got to go, go spare my, my nephew. I don't know how many, uh, how many uncles love your nephew that much to go kill some people and, and free your, your, your nephew, but this is what he does, and he takes some people. And not only does he take back his, his nephew, but he takes back all the possessions that were taken as well. And here's what happens, because God delivered Abram and Lot from the enemy. Here's, here's where we get introduced to a character by the name of Melchizedek. It says in verse 18 of Genesis 14, Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God most high. Melchizedek was the king of Salem, but he was also the priest. He blessed Abram, saying, Blessed be Abram by God most high, creator of heaven and earth. And praise be to God most high, who delivered your enemies into your hand. And then Abram gave a tenth of everything. Now, we don't know much about Melchizedek. There's a lot of speculation on who he is, and I'm not here to talk about that. But we know that he was the king, but he also know, we know that he was a priest. And, and Abram, who was spared, was able to take captive his nephew, took possessions back. What did he do? He returned a tenth back to God. This is, this, is the, this is a simple act of worship, out of respect, out of thankfulness, out of gratitude. He said, here you go, take a tenth. And now we start to see some language come under the, under the Mosaic law we find in Leviticus chapter 27, which says, a tithe or a tenth, somebody say tenth, of everything from the land, whether grain from the soil or fruit from the trees, belongs to who? To the Lord. And he says, it is holy. In other words, that 10%, that tithe is sanctified, is set apart. God declares it holy. So now we see some, some language being brought into this. A tithe was a requirement under, under the Mosaic law. They had to give 10% of everything. Where did they give it to? The tabernacle. In fact, if you dive a little bit deeper into this, there was actually multiple tithes. They had to give to the priests, which, by the way, part of what you give here takes care of us. They give it to the storehouses. They give it to the land. And it ends up being a little bit more because a tenth here, a tenth there, a tenth there, a tenth there. Just not just a tenth of your income, but a tenth of what you received, a tenth of what you made. Now all of a sudden, it, it, it starts to build up a little bit. So, so there was actually more. But I want, I want to pause there for a moment because, you know, although we see some language like the tithe presented in Genesis chapter 4, this idea of giving an offering goes way back to the garden in Genesis chapter 4 with Adam and Eve who had two sons. What were their sons' names? Cain and Abel. Look at verse 3. This will be on the screen of Genesis chapter 4. It says, In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. 
And Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. Now we know the end of that story. Cain ends up murdering his brother. But what I want you to know is what they brought wasn't the issue. Because Cain brought vegetation and Abel brought an animal. And that wasn't wrong. In fact, this was just an offering. And, and, And many would agree that this wasn't an offering of repentance. It wasn't like, man, I sinned. Now, we know Cain needed to do that afterwards, but it wasn't because I was sinning, now I'm giving. Remember, we talked about offerings weeks ago. You have the, the, the peace offering, the trespass offering, you have the, uh, the, the sin offering, the burnt. There's a lot of offerings. And so Cain and Abel are, are just simply presenting an offering. The first act of worship wasn't singing, wasn't shouting, wasn't dancing. Maybe they did a little shout, I don't know. Maybe they did a little prayer, I don't know. Maybe they did a little spin, but what did they do? They just gave to God. That was the first act of worship. So this is what's happening now in Genesis 4. Now, theologians can argue about the anger of God in this scenario. Why was God angry? Many would agree that what Abel brought was done from faith, and what Cain brought wasn't done out of the right heart. It was done out of obligation. His heart wasn't in it. Therefore, God's heart wasn't for it. And so Eddie did a great job of talking about it's not not the amounts, but it's the heart. And I can give all that I have. But I could give it reluctantly, I could give it selfishly, I could give it with no purpose, or I could just give it because I'm checking off a list, and it's what the Bible tells me to do. And so it was done out of obligation. Now, Genesis 14, there's some language brought to this, the tithe. But if I can clarify, you know, we talk about tithes and we talk about offerings. Genesis 14, we see a tithe, a tenth, and then Genesis 4, we see an offering. There, there is a difference, right? The tithe was, was, was 10% of the income. And an offering was giving above and beyond. i never forget, when I was like little, my dad, anytime I made some money, he was like, Jacob, you have to understand that it's all God's. So, he, so, so here I got, I got $100. I got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. I can also count. There we go. <laughs> I, would, I would work around the house. Um, and, and just parents, my dad wouldn't pay me for any chores that I did. Like, that wasn't a thing when I was little. I don't know if you parents pay your kids for doing chores, but I ain't, there's no way I'm paying my kids to do chores around the house. You are serving my wife, all right? Clean that, mop that, whatever. But I, so I would have to make some money because I wanted to buy hats and shoes, and I wanted to go to the movies and buy popcorn, you know, and spend 20 bucks on popcorn. But I had to make money, and so I would mow lawns, and I would wash cars, and I would give lessons. In fact, we had a neighbor. I would mow his entire lawn, which was big. I had one of those push things, and then we got one of those seated things, and I was like, yo, this is so cool. <laughs> Throw some headphones on. Um, I would wash, wash and wax two cars, and I would mow the lawn, and they would pay me like 50 bucks. And I was like, not cheaping me, man. You might as well slave me. But 50 bucks was 50 bucks when I was like 13. And then I'd wash another car, mow another car. I'd get $100. My dad would say, 10 of that is God's. 10%. And he said, another 10 is for savings. And he said, 70 of it is for mom and dad because we're raising you. And then the 10% is... <laughs> no, he wouldn't say that. He wouldn't say, he's, he wouldn't say that. He, but, but 10% was God's. And he said, 10% of savings. You know, since I was that age, any money that I have made, that has just become part of who I am. Not the savings part, but the tithing part. That is all, I mean, I don't have to second guess. I make $100, 10 is God's. Now, an offering would be anything above that. So let's say we're, we're asking for some relief money to go over to Fort Myers, 
That would be an offering. Let's say we're trying to raise some money for four kids of South Florida. That would be an offering. Remember in scripture when Jesus fed the 5,000, somebody had to offer up their lunch, five loaves and two fish. So that was an offering. So if you're ever wondering what is a tithe and what is an offering, tithe is a tenth, 10% of your income, and an offering is above and beyond. Am I required now to give an offering? I don't know. Am I required now to give a tenth? Well, let's talk about that. Okay, let's keep going. So, so we find some more language in Genesis chapter 14. And now we get back to Malachi, and God's like, you haven't been bringing me your tithe. And if you have, you haven't been doing it with the right hearts. You see, there were two errors all throughout history with the Jewish people. In fact, these two errors are still being committed today. Error number one, people were too legalistic in their approach to tithing. Man, I give $10 out of 100 always, and I want everybody to see. And it was done out of obligation. It was done out of the wrong heart. It was done just because this is what they always did. In fact, Jesus says something about these people because for them it became a status thing. He calls them out in Matthew 23, verse 23. He says, woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees. You hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. In other words, he said, you're frauds. You're keeping books on everything that you give. You're tithing on every nickel and dime that you make, but you're forgetting the most important things like caring for people, like being fair for people. So they were legalistic in their approach. And many of us today are just like, well, I just do it because I do it. I do it out of obligation. I do it, so hopefully I am blessed. But my heart isn't in it. And then what happened is you would find people who were so turned away by that that they wouldn't just give it all. And that was the second error, that nobody was giving. Maybe it was because they didn't see what it was going towards, or maybe just because they, they might have forgotten who God was. And what he commanded. You know, in Nehemiah chapter 13, Nehemiah returns to uh, Jerusalem and he sees the storehouses empty. What were the storehouses? That was where all the tithes and offerings were presented. Remember, the currency wasn't money then. It was agriculture. It was uh, animals. And so people would bring their animals. Could you imagine if we asked you to bring your animals? Bring the firstborn of your cat. Bring the firstborn of your dog. You know, maybe some of you live in Davie or right over here and you got horses. All right, bring your firstborn of your horse. And we're going to, we won't get into what we're going to do with that. But imagine, so that would be the storehouse. So if we had a room, we had a room that had all the dead animals and the crops and all the seed. Um, Nehemiah shows up and he says, it's empty. What are you guys doing? In fact, it's so empty that the priests, that some of that should have been supporting them, that they couldn't even survive. And so the priests now left the, 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 the tabernacles and the temples to go to the fields to work because they had to provide for their family. The people said they were going to give. They made a covenant to God that they were going to give, but they didn't give the tenth that God was asking. They either weren't giving it, they were doing it out of, uh, they were doing it because they were, wanted to be legalists, or some of them weren't giving it at all. They were like, I know 10%, but if I can just rip this in half, then I'll, then I'll, some of you just be about a heart attack. Like, that's what I get paid every day. So, you know, that's uh, so. They were like, I can't even give 10. Let me just give five. Let me give two. Let me give, let me give what I have left. Let's go to the New Testament because here's, we see something interesting start to take place. You know, in the New Testament, Jesus clearly mentions the tithe. So it wasn't as if the tithe stopped when Jesus showed up. People were still giving the tenth 
People still today give a tenth. Jesus mentioned it. But nowhere in the New Testament does he command believers or does scripture command believers that they're to submit to this legalistic approach to tithing. That you had to give ten. That, that, that's what it must be. You can't give any less. It's got to be 10%. Well, we find something interesting taking place. Because now we find Paul here addressing in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. It says in verse 6, remember this. He's speaking to the believers in Corinth, by the way, and he's really encouraged by what they're giving because a lot of what they're giving or part of what they're giving was helping Paul continue to do ministry. He was helping Paul continue to plant churches. What they were giving was helping all the ministers of the gospel in in, in those areas survive. So he was like, great job. You guys are giving abundantly. God has been good. He says, remember this, though. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap what? Generously. Now, he's using an example as a farmer because, you know, to a farmer who's scattering its seed, it might seem that he's at loss when he drops some of those seed. And I don't want to give all the seed because then I'm, then, then I'm not going to have any left over. But why would a farmer withhold the seed that he's got to plant? You see, the farmer is more, is more uh, in tune with the investment that he's making knowing what is coming. Why would a farmer hold all the seed and store it all up? What good is a barn house full of seed if not planted? What good is a bank account full of money if not invested? Let me take it a step further. Let's, let's forget about money for a second. What good is a man full of wisdom if not shared? What good is a woman full of joy if not given? Maybe God has given you much so you can turn around and give much. Maybe he's given you little because he knows if, you, if he gave you much, you wouldn't give it. You keep it all. So until you can be faithful with the little, God will, be, God will make you faithful with the big. But you got to be faithful somewhere. If I'm just planting a little bit of seeds, I'm planting all that I have because I know the investment and I know what I'm going to get. I know the harvest that, that's going to come. But if I start to hold it to myself, if I start to store it up, guess what? You have a lot of money when you die. That money doesn't go with you. It stays with you. In fact, if you don't have any plan to give it to your kids, parents, you should, um, it's going to rot with you. I mean, this is how the Egyptians lived. When they died, the pharaohs, they'd bury everything in their graves. Could you imagine if we did that? Man, I'd be at grave sites every day, every night, digging up some bodies because there probably is gold in there. Come on, amen. Anybody with me? Let's go. Let's grab a shovel. <laughs> so this is, what kind of thinking was that? i got to store up everything on this earth. And when I die, where does it go? What good is a bank account full of money if not invested? What's the purpose of it? Just to show what you've got? Just to show what you have? Perhaps God is saying today, I want to give you much, but you've got to start giving what little you have. It says in verse 7, it goes on, Paul says, each of you, now here's the thing. This is good news, all right? Somebody say good news. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give. Not reluctantly or under compulsion, but God loves a cheerful, come on, do I got any cheerful givers out in this room? Come on, raise your hands nice and high. If you need something, look around. People are raising their hands. Come on, look around. Let's go. We got some cheerful givers out here, baby. Come on, I love it. It is more blessed it is to give than it is to receive. Man, I, I just love it. It's something about giving. It's like, man, this is good, and I could buy a new pair of shoes. Um, but, man, I, I guess I'll give it to you. And when I give it to you, and, again, it's not about how you feel. That's not what it's about. There is those blessings come. Those feelings come. I don't live by that feeling. I'm not just giving to you because I feel better about myself, and you look worse about yourself. That's not why I give. I give because, man, I know there is joy in it. I give because everything I have, all that I have made, was never mine in the first place. 
It's all God's. And whether God decides to give me 10 and give the rest away, then that's how I'm going to live. And that's what I'm going to, well, my wife didn't want me to live that way. And I don't really want to live that way because then I'd have nothing. But if that's what God wants, then I guess that's what I'm going to do. Here's what we know from the New Testament. And I'm going to answer two more questions. Every believer should be a giver. Every believer should be a giver. Every believer isn't required to give a set amount. That would be the second thing. There's no percentage. Whether you choose to live by the 10%, that's fine. God will honor that. Whether you say, I don't live by 10%, I live by 8%, 7%. 7's my number. That's fine. Again, you go back to the scripture. Give what you have decided in your heart. God loves a cheerful giver. God, I make a lot of money. I'll give you 0.01%, and I'm going to be happy about it. I don't think that's, uh, that, would, that would work and work for God. Um, so every believer, thirdly, must give with the right heart. That's it. You decide, do it, and give it cheerfully. With that in mind, I want to answer two questions. With the Old Testament perspective and the New Testament perspective, let me answer two questions. The second one is this. What happens when we don't give? That's a great question, Jacob, and just please don't look at me when you answer that question, okay? I should have prefaced this by saying um, th- there's, no, there's no judgment here. You know, I had a friend this past week tell me, you know, me and my family were going to church for years, and we, got, we found ourselves in a really tough season, and it was really, really hard to give, and so we had to stop giving. And they were walking to church, and the, the person who, who knows what people give greeted them at the doors and said, hey, how you doing? I said, we're doing good. No, they, they said, how you really doing? He said, we're doing good. He said, I noticed that you have not been given to church. They walked right out those doors and left. Now, maybe that was the right thing or the wrong thing to say. But that's how a lot of people feel. Man, I, I just, I just that's, that's what it's all about. So, so no judgment here. We're not asking you to, if you're a first-time guest, to give. And certainly if you're a part of another church, don't give to our church. Give to your church. We're not kicking you out. But if you start giving, we can't promise you that you're going to get everything you wanted. We can't promise that you're going to all of a sudden live your best life. And that word best is really all about perspective, by the way. Man, I'm going to give, and all of a sudden, phew, I sow 10, and I get 100. Pastor said, I sow 100, I get 1,000. What if I sow 1,000? Do I get 10,000? Yes. No, <laughs> no, that's not it. Like, that's not what we're saying. What we're saying is you will begin to see God do things in and through you, and it might not be financially. But again, it's all about perspective. So as we, as we read this, It'll begin to call you out. It'll, be, it'll be, begin to change you, convict you. It'll shape you because, come on, how many want to be who God has shaped you to be? How many want to be who God has called you to be? All right? So God is saying, you're robbing me. You're robbing me. God, don't call me out. No. If you want to be called out, if you're a believer today, let him call you out. Don't let me or somebody else, let God call you out. Let that Holy Spirit that is within you convict you and shape you and change you. He says, you're robbing me. And because of that, you're under a curse. Look at verse 9 in Malachi 3. Your whole nation, your whole family, because you're robbing me. Bring the whole tithe. The people weren't fulfilling the covenant that they made with the Lord. He said, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Jesus, or God says, test me in this and see if I not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be enough room to store it. I'll prevent pests from devouring your crops and the vines in your field will not drop their fruit before it is ripe. You see, because that they weren't fulfilling the covenant, well, they were being cursed. They weren't being blessed. Their crops were being devoured by insects. The fruit wasn't maturing to its fullest before it dropped. 
God's like, you've insulted me by your cheap worship. You've insulted me by your giving. So here are the consequences. Here's what's, here's what's, here's what's happening. Here's what's going to happen. Remember, everything that God gave the Israelites was already God's. Everything. And even the land that God gave them. He just made them tenants of the land. They were to be stewards of the land. But it was originally God's. I mean, do you have that stewardship perspective that everything you have is God's, even to your vehicle, even to your home, even to your job, even to your kids? That we're just stewards of it. To think that I'm a steward of my kids, that God could take them if he ever desired. God could take my truck if he ever desired. God could take my home if he ever desired. He can't take my wife, though. I guess he could. But I'm just, I'm just stewarding things. That's how we're supposed to live. That's how Israel was living. The land that God promised them didn't all of a sudden, like it wasn't signed over and said, now it is in your, it is in the Israelites, you know, company. It was God's. And they just became, they just became stewards of it. And they were robbing God of all that was already his in the first place. Here's what's happening. You can write this down. By robbing God, you rob yourself. By robbing God, yes, we can rob God if everything is his. By robbing God, we're actually robbing ourselves. They were under a curse. They weren't fulfilling what God had told them to fulfill. They were more committed to personal work than kingdom work. They were more concerned about personal investments than kingdom investments, than eternal investments. Man, all that I have, God, is, is mine, and I'm going to do so many great things with it. Just watch what I'll do. Watch how many kids I'll save. And God's like, just give me a small portion and just watch what I'll do with the rest. Because ultimately what you say is, God, I can do way more with 100% than you can do with 10%, God. I, I could do way more with all that I have that he's already given you. I could do way more with it all than what you can do just with a, just with a portion. Listen, giving is a sacrifice. Would you agree? Giving is a sacrifice. It's not easy. It's not easy to show up to church every single Sunday and say, you know what, i, I got to write this check. It's not easy. It's not easy saying, you know what, man, i gotta, I got to push that button on that app to give. It's, it's not easy. Even for those who've been believers their whole lives. I was talking to Steve, and Steve was telling me he just he got a big bonus. They were in some debt. They could have worked on some things, but they decided to give it away. Give away money, especially if I have debt, and God all of a sudden showed up. You better believe I'm paying off that debt. But to give it away to somebody else, to give it to some place, for God to do something greater than what you can, you can do with it, that's what, ultimately what we're saying is, God, what I have, I know you can do greater things than what I can do with it. But, but it's a struggle. My wife and I, ever since we've been married, we've been living by this 10%. Again, it's not, it's not the command in the New Testament, but we've decided we're going to give 10%. Now, I've, I've been a firm believer that all my income shouldn't just come from the church. I am full-time here, and I've been full-time since I was 21 at church. So I do a little bit of work on the side. If you follow me or know me, you know that on Fridays, man, I work, on, I work for my father-in-law on some boats. So my father is my boss here, and then my father-in-law is my other boss. Man, I just can't get away, you know? <laughs> but they take care of me, and I can get off whenever I wanted, and they can't discipline me because... I married his daughter. So um, any money that I make, you know, we try to tithe off as well. Because I have my, my income that's, that's salary base, and now I get a little extra money here, a little extra money here. And I'm like, should I? Do I? And we found out after looking through our budget that we weren't tithing off that. It wasn't intentional. 
It wasn't like, finally, money that God won't know about. <laughs> Let, let's keep it in cash. Because, put it under your mattress so the government can't take it and God can't take it. Unfortunately, God knows where you hide it. And so we were like, we weren't, we weren't even given a tenth. And so we decided that, you know what, without even thinking, we got we to gotta up our giving. But that was a step of faith. Because we've got everything categorized, right? I got X amount of dollars here, X amount of dollars here, X amount of dollars here. Like, I add there, I got to take away there. At least that's what we tried to do. Without even hesitation, we did it. Can I tell you that the same month that my wife and I decided to give the full tenth, God began to bless us financially more than we've ever seen in our eight years of marriage. Ever. Now, I can't say with confidence that that blessing was directly tied to our obedience. But what I can say is God said, when you give a full tenth into the storehouse, watch what I'll do. I'll pour out a blessing that you can't even handle. Just watch. For us, it was conviction. For us, it was just obedience. For us, it was necessary. This is what we're doing. Giving to God, I want you to write this down. Giving to God, because this shaped me and changed me. Giving to God is saying, God, I trust you, and God, I thank you. It's one act of obedience. You're accomplishing two things. Come on. You get, to, you get to obey God twice with one act. Come on, somebody. That's good right there. I get to trust God, and I get to thank God. I know this is so hard to give to you, God, but, 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 but because I thank you and I trust you, it becomes a little bit easier. I trust God and I thank God. The people couldn't even do that. They, they didn't have the faith to do that. They said, yeah, I can give, but I just don't want to give now. Or, yeah, maybe I'll give when, when I can, or I'll give whatever I have left. Again, it's not 10%. It's not the rule anymore. But God is more concerned about the hearts. Have you been giving without trusting? Have you been giving without obeying? Have you been giving without worshiping? Have you been giving without thanking God? Is, 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 that, is that your story? Because, you know, we don't pass buckets anymore. We used to do that. And we, we kind of felt that that made people obligated to give. Oh, the bucket's coming around. Let me see what I got. And my uh, future father-in-law is sitting behind me, so I got a tithe because he's not going to let me marry his daughter, you know. Or, uh, man, so-and-so is sitting next to me. I got a tithe because they're going to judge me. You know, we don't do that anymore. In fact, some churches, they make you come to the front. Hey, this time, would you bring your altar to the front, the altar of God? And you're like, man, I got to come because I'm going to be judged. And so you make your way up here to the front, and you're like, well, all I got is singles, and that would look bad, but I got a hundred. I guess I might as well. Singles with a hundred. I guess I got a, that might be good. Steve, could we do that? Where you at, Steve? Should that be a thing we do? <laughs> Make you come to the front anymore? You know, my dad's not here. Let's try it, okay? Uh, <laughs> uh, that's what people used to do. But Proverbs 11.24, listen to this. One person gives freely, yet gains even more, and another withholds unduly, but comes to poverty. In other words, the world of the generous gets larger and larger, but the world of the stingy gets smaller and smaller. That's what that scripture says. God deserves nothing less than our absolute best, Victory Life Church. God deserves nothing less than our absolute best. If you have not surrendered, every area of your life to God, then you are not walking in obedience. You may have a lot of things going pretty well, but your finances, it's been yours. You've been living close fist. God is saying today's the day that you open up your hands. Live in such a way that I can give to you, but I can also take from you. Just watch what I'll do in you. Watch what I'll do through you and watch the blessings that I'll pour out. Just watch. 
So what happens when we give? This is the third question. What happens when we give? And I'll go through this pretty quickly so we can close. But it is raining outside, so we've got another hour then it looks like. Malachi 3, it says, test me in this. God says, test me and see if I'll not throw open the floodgates of heaven. Look what I'll do. I'll save your crops. I'll save your fruit. Look at verse 12. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land. Come on, how many of you want to be blessed? How many want to have a delightful home, a delightful marriage, a blessed relationship? Come on, that's not wrong to ask. God says, just watch, test me in this. Man, it's not about me being blessed. It's not about me living my best life. I know it's not. Again, that's all perception. You can, you can have a lot of money, but that money isn't blessed. You can have all that you have, but all that you have isn't blessed. You can have everything you need, but all that you need isn't blessed. Because you have not fully surrendered every area, including your finances, over to God. So how can God bless that? How can God use that? If you've, if you've held on to it and you keep holding on to it, the world of the stingy gets smaller and smaller. God says, I want you to test me in this. Paul said in, in 2 Corinthians 9 again, he said, sow generously and you'll what? Reap generously. Church, there is spiritual blessings in giving. There are spiritual blessings in giving. Some of you have been receiving the blessings of God because you have been giving to God. Some of you have been at it your whole life, and God is good. You don't have all the money in the world, but God is good. God has taken care of you. He takes care of the birds in the air. He takes care of the lilies in the field. You can stand here today and say, man, I don't have a lot to show for. In fact, you can just hit all those bags off because that's all I have in my bank account. But what I can tell you is God is good and God is doing something and I am very thankful for who he is. He has taken care of me. My marriage is still intact. My kids love Jesus. Man, I got a great job. I got a great home. I got some okay neighbors, but man, I'm blessed. I'm blessed. I'm blessed. I'm blessed. Some of you have not been receiving the blessings of God because you have not been giving to God. Jesus is speaking to thousands in Luke chapter 6. He's speaking to uh, what we would call the Sermon on the Plain. And he says this in Luke 6, verse 38. He says, give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. My old pastor in Boca used to say that all the time. He said, he's a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. Just all the time, over and over. It'll be poured into your lap. Listen to this. For the measure you use, it'll be measured to you. Can I just say something today? You cannot outgive God. You can't. You may try. You may think you're doing good. You may think you're doing better. But it's like, man, I can't give it all away. You could give it all away. And be careful what you ask for. Be careful what you wish for. Because God might just say, you know what? It's time to sell your business and it's time to move overseas because I got some people over there that really need you. God would never ask me to do that. Oh, you, then you don't know God. And you better be ready for God to do, if he's going to do the supernatural through you, he's going to first do the supernatural in you. And it's not going to make sense to anybody else. It's not going to make sense even to your family. It might not make sense to your spouse at first. I do believe that you need to be aligned with the decision that you're making. But if you pray and you seek the Lord, he might shake you. He might break some traditional values that you've held on for so long. He might rattle you a little bit, shake up the religion that you think you've been, you've been obeying for so long. Just be careful what you ask for. God will give you what you want, what you need. It may not be what you think you want. It'll be what you need. Some of you are wondering why I don't have much because, well, 
What have you given? Some of you are wondering why I have, I've never had much. Well, have you ever started giving? There's a biblical principle of giving to the church, and it started in, in Genesis with giving an offering to the tabernacle, to the priest, to the temple, to fill the storehouses. And if you've been a believer for your whole life and you're saying, man, I've, I've just never done that. I've trusted God in every other area of my life, but I just haven't been able to do that. Can you, can you just think about how life has been for you? What kind of blessings you've received or what kind of blessings you have not received? And I just wonder what God will start to do. Has giving to the church ever been a category in your budget? Has it? I, mean, I got some things that are in my budget. In fact, I got a lot of things. I, got every, I know where every dollar goes to. But is, is giving to the Lord, is that, is, that in there, is that in there at all? Again, I'm not trying to make you feel, con, you know, I'm not casting condemnation on you. But we have been saying for so long, God, all this is mine. Everything I have. And you have been robbing God. Today, church, let's stop robbing God. Today, church, let's start trusting God with everything that we have because it is already his. Amen? Let's change our perspective about our finances. Man, I've surrendered so many other areas in my life to God, but this is the one area that I have held on to, and God is saying, test me in this. Let me close and then give you two challenges today. Challenge number one, start somewhere and make it automatic. Start somewhere and make it automatic. Pick a percentage. Challenge God. What do you have to lose? More importantly, what do you have to gain? What do you have to gain? Because when you start to, to give to the house of the Lord, you, you just watch what God begins to do in you. Watch how he begins to grow your love for the house of the Lord. And when things are happening overseas, when God is doing something through VLC to, to, to nonprofits and families, you're part of that. That's not why I give, just so I could be part of that. Can I just put my name in? We sent $10,000 over to Uganda. I gave a dollar. Can I put my name? Yeah. But if that's what you want to do, then you're not giving with the right heart. Doesn't matter what you give. You just want to have some status? So, so that's not what I'm saying. But start somewhere, make it automatic. Try it for 90 days. A local pastor friend of mine who's been pastoring for 12 years now, he has challenged his people every year. And he says this with new believers. He says, commit to give to God to 90 days. And if he doesn't bless you, we'll give you all your money back. And he's been pastoring a few thousand people for 12 years. Not once has anybody ever come back and said, give me my money. Not once. Try it. For 90 days. Pick a percentage. And I say automatic because every other bill we have in our lives are on auto pay. And yet we forget about God. And at the end of the month, it's like, you know what? What do we have left? We don't have anything left. Let's just wait till next month. What if you did that with your mortgage, with your car insurance? You know, I did that with my car payment one time. I turned it off automatic because I wanted to change the date and I forgot about it. Three months later, I got a call saying I owed three months of car payments and I laughed and I said, well, that's your fault. <laughs> and they're like, good luck. Take us to court. I'm like, I ain't gonna do that. You know, I, I gotta pay three months because I forgot. And so I've set it automatic and it comes out at the first of the month. Which, by the way, to take it a step even further, as you start to grow in your relationship with God, I say automatic because you got to start somewhere. Some of you, you're just going to be forgetful. You're going to forget three months, and then you're like, do I have to owe the church three months? No, that's not what we're saying. I had to owe my car insurance and my, my car payment. 
but start somewhere, make it automatic. But as you begin to grow, what my wife and I have found of eight years of, kind of seven and a half years of setting auto pay, we've decided to take that auto pay off and we do it ourselves. We still do it online. And in fact, we did it the other, uh, the other night in bed and we, we pressed send on the app and we like prayed. We said, God, would you do great things with this? Would you do greater things than what we can do with it? We trust you, we thank you. And so for us now, we've taken off that auto pay because we wanna, we wanna, I wish I could come to the house of the Lord and throw it at the altar and say, God, I just thank you, but I wanna make a show out of it. I just, so we do it online. Start somewhere. That'd be my first challenge. My second one is this. Give the first part and not the last part. Proverbs chapter three, verse nine says, honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first, somebody say first. First, don't wait till the end, till all the bills are paid. And then you're like, we don't really have any money left over, so we'll wait till next month. Do it first. If you really believe that God will take care of the rest, do it first. Do it at the beginning, lest you forget at the end, because here's what you're saying. God, I believe that you can do more with 10% than what I can do with 100%. And so I give, God, the 10% to you, or whatever percentage you're picking. God, I give to you. Lord, I make, I make space. I make space. Come on, somebody say, make space. I make space, God. I make room for you to do only what you can do. So here's what I want to challenge you. I, already, I gave you two challenges. Under your seat, there is a card that's flipped upside down. Looks like this. It's a 90-day giving challenge. Now, please, you can throw this away if you want. This is just for you. This isn't for you to fill out and give to me. Don't give it to me. Don't put it in an offering box. Just put it in your Bible. If you're a giver here today, we're not asking you to do this. If, you're, if you have never tested God, I remember talking to somebody not too long ago, and they're like, I've been coming to church here for a while, but I didn't know what tithe was. Maybe we don't explain it, but we're explaining it now. And they're like, I'm giving. And I said it automatic. And I'm like, let's go. And I followed up with them, and they're like, I'm still giving. And I'm like, yeah. It's not for me, it's for you. You're doing what God has called you to do. And so if you're interested in taking God up on this challenge, on this test, take this. And this is just for you. Write down an amount or a percentage and say you want to give weekly, bi-weekly, or monthly. If you don't attend our church, give it to another church. But the storehouses have got to be full. That's what the scripture says. So God can begin to do a work in and through this church. You get to be part of that. But it's an act of obedience. And so challenge God. Put him to the test. We're going to worship. We're going to sing a little bit. And during this time, I want you to pray. Because Paul said, I want you to really consider and pray about the amount that you should give. But it's got to be from the heart. It's got to be with you and your spouse, you and your family. Decide together. Don't just say, I'm canceling our Netflix. I'm canceling our Disney Plus. I'm canceling my gym membership. And your wife is like, no, keep your gym membership. You need it, you know. But let's get rid of everything else. So, so make sure that decision is mutual with you and your spouse or your family. And if you're single, man, that's a great thing about being single. You don't got to run any, anything by anybody else except yourself. Amen. All the single people out there. Hey, would you stand to your feet? Let's pray. Father, today you um, hopefully are presenting, God, something that we don't often hear. Maybe we hear too much of in the church, and that is that if you give, you will return. You'll return. But it's not always in finances. Sometimes it's, just, it's in blessings in different areas, different ways. Lord, we know in Scripture you said you didn't have a place to put your head most nights. And so we're not all of a sudden going to get a bigger house or ride a bigger car. But Lord, we do know that you want to bless us. You, you want to pour out a blessing. 
so much that we can't contain, that it overflows. And when I think about this word overflow, God, is it overflows from our hands into the hands of other people. And so, Father, help us be generous. Help us be generous, God. We want to sow generously so we can reap generously. But ultimately, God, you got to make room in our heart to do so. So would you do that in this moment, Father? Would you just, just ask him as we sing, ask him as we, as we worship? God, help me to make room. If you're already giving, great. Then maybe God wants to make room in other areas of your life, in your, in your sacrifice with your energy, your time, your resources, your giftings. Maybe God is saying, listen, I just need you to lay your doubts down. I need you to lay your burdens down. I need you to lay all the questions down and just put me first. Put me first and watch what I'll do. Come on, can we sing? Thanks so much for listening to this podcast. If this has blessed you, would you consider giving a financial gift to help bring this message to more people? You can do that at vlcministries.com slash give. You can also subscribe, rate, and share this podcast with your friends and family. Here's what we believe. Living God's way. Everywhere, every way, every day. We love you and God bless.